Welcome to today's episode of Let Me Be Brief. I'm your co-host, Andy Rieger, joined as always by my sometimes good buddy, Matt Basinger of Swellspark. Yep, not going to say anything. That's what I thought. Just chewing gum. We're joined by Miss Jackie Wise of Emprise Bank, and we're in the Let It Fly Media Studios. Our guest today is a good buddy of mine. This is your is this your second time on the show in three years? It could be. It I could be. I believe it is. Uh, but, Scott Havens really kind of ropes me into lots of stuff. You and me both, pal. You and me both. <laughs> Tyler Knopberg. Tyler is the chairman and chief optimist for U.S. Engineering, national, international, national, national engineering firm based here in Kansas City. Construction firm. Construction firm. It's very yes. confusing. Design build. Mm-hmm. They are. Yeah. They have a lot of employees. Tyler. Team members. Team members. Yeah. Man, you're going to teach me a lot. Let's roll. <laughs> Andy, I'm concerned about you. I was on a second cup of coffee, Matt. Calm coffee. Down. Coffee? Says the guy. Coffee. And I have a bottle of whiskey in front of me, yes. All right, Tyler. What do you do? Uh, so I am the chairman and chief optimist at U.S. Engineering, so I think of myself primarily as a chief cultural officer. Mm-hmm. But the company itself is a mechanical construction company. So when you think of the stuff that gets covered up by drywall, like plumbing, piping, HVAC systems, that's the type of stuff that we design, we build, we maintain, and in some cases we operate facilities to make sure that all that equipment works. And we do it for large companies that are building things like data centers or performing arts centers or, I don't know, airports. Seems like a pointed hint there. Yes. Yeah. The and new Hang on, hang on. Tyler, airport. do you have any famous projects oh, that the, people might the know? The new airport in Kansas, in Kansas City is uh is work that we're doing. So, uh it's an exciting project. So, so let's just use that as a very simple example for the listeners. When you say you guys are doing the airport, what specifically at the airport are you doing so when people walk through they're like, "Ah, this was US engineering." Like so we event yeah. yeah. So we've got we've got uh, members of our team that are responsible for managing the work and then actually doing the installation of the systems that I described. So literally, we've got plumbers, pipe fitters, sheet metal workers who are out there welding together pipe, installing it, putting together sheet metal systems, installing chillers and air handlers and uh, all the toilets that you'll be using when you go to the airport. So uh, those are the types of systems that we build as part of the project. So if they get clogged, it's your fault personally. Well, you know, that's debatable. All right. So let's let's talk about you specifically. And then I want to dive back into the airport because as Andy mentioned, we've, we've had some conversations on this podcast before, so we want updates, right? Great. Um, but uh, you are not fitting pipes. You are not running the wiring or installing things. No, and everybody's rock, very right? thankful that I'm not involved yeah. in that personally. Yeah, but you are working with a company that does those things. And so with you being, as you said, the uh, chief optimist, right? Um, how much of your time are you working with your employee? Like maybe just tell me a little bit more like with granularity about what it is that you are doing with your company to help you all be so successful. So the the point I made earlier about the fact that uh, they're not employees, team members, they're team members is uh, really important to me. Uh, I don't think that the word employee properly sort of conveys the type of relationship that I am in charge of trying to create for everyone who works at U.S. Engineering. An employee sort of denotes the idea that the relationship's transactional. You come, you work, we pay you, you go home. 
Uh, a team member, if you're on a team, uh, it really requires a level of sacrifice and understanding uh, on the part of both the organization and the person who's doing the work to really kind of come together and work towards a common goal. And so uh, that in a lot of ways is a microcosm for the sorts of things that I spend a lot of time trying to uh, promote uh, at U.S. Engineering. So when I say that I'm the chief cultural officer, I feel personally responsible when we do things well, when we do things poorly. Uh, I feel like that's an important part of my job, making sure that people within the organization understand that, hey, culture really matters. And then that sort of bleeds out into how we're involved in the community, the types of projects that we go after, the way we try and develop our relationships with our customers. So I feel like that's my job. And I work with people on a daily basis to try and reinforce that. And I think the fact that you speak in those words are super indicative of why your company has had such success over the last season and, and moving forward. And so to, to take that and point it back to the airport, one thing that I think is really fun using the verbiage of team is teams go out and they they win things. They get wins. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is a big project with a lot of eyes with a lot of interested parties, with a lot of folks who really want this to be successful. And there's a deadline, right? Like there's some expectations that all of this happens. And so talk to me about how you work not only with your team members, but also your team has to work alongside other contractors, other companies, governmental bodies, institutions, all of this stuff. How do you play a role in maybe the, some of those conversations, not so much just with your team, but also making sure that your team is well represented um, outside of the metaphorical four walls of your company? Sure. Well, I think that one of the things that comes into the title of chief, opt chief optimist is the idea that things will always go wrong. Uh, plans uh, are always made. And uh, as you know, Mike Tyson said, everyone's got a plan until they're punched in the face. <laughs> and so the idea that we've got a team in place with a plan that we're going to try and execute on something uh, involves us really understanding that when those obstacles need to be overcome, when problems come up, uh, it's our job to make sure we're working with either the general contractor or the owner. You know, and the airport's a really good example. It's a complex project. You can't possibly anticipate everything that's going to go wrong. There might be a wall that's off by a foot for some reason. Well, you have to jump in and rather than spend a whole bunch of time trying to assign blame, figure out, okay, well, how are we going to overcome this obstacle? And for a project as large and as long as this airport has taken, uh, there are probably still plenty of problems that remain that we're going to have to be able to overcome. And our part in doing that is making sure uh, uh, that we do our job. Uh, well, that we are taking care of everything that we're doing. And then we're communicating with everybody else about, you know, what it is that we're trying to achieve. So constant communication, constant trust in people within the organization that they're going to communicate to our counterparts. That is what's going to help us overcome the inevitable obstacles uh, that, that, that we meet. And that's true on any project. So Tyler, you have all these projects that you guys are doing. They obviously take investment from a, if, let's say for every 10 projects you bid on, you win three of them. I know that's that might be low, that might be accurate, but you have to pay to lose bids. You have to pay people to be there. Is that something that you guys are financing up front, especially then even when you win bids in your first 60 days on the job before you even bill? Do you guys carry a large amount of cash on the balance sheet? Is it a line of credit that you utilize project by project and you get a new line of credit for every project? How do you guys manage your cash flow in and out? 
Yeah, we have we have great financial partners because cash flow absolutely is an issue for um, construction companies. Uh, and one of the things that is uh, difficult from a billing standpoint is that we may perform work over a 30 day period that we are going to bill the customer for. And then when we send in that bill, they'll review it, they'll approve it. In the meantime, we still have to pay people uh, in order to perform the work because we're paying on a weekly basis. So absolutely, cash flow is an issue that we've got to focus on. And so whether it's an Emprise bank and you're getting a, a loan, like are you going out to the Emprise banks of the world and are you getting your loans based on your corporate structure or are you getting them based on project by project? It's a the corporate structure for sure. I, I want to eventually transition into sort of the foundation and the history of US engineering because it's fascinating. Five generations, if I remember correctly. Yeah. But let's just stick on the airport for one last question. You know, when we talk about projects and winning projects, it, you're in a bid-based business. I mean, 17 different companies of a project that size are all engaged to come provide bids. And it's crazy how it works and how much effort has to go into that to lose bids. But a project like the airport goes beyond just a bid. It's also a political process. Can you sort of talk through the nuanced details of a project of that scale with that many eyes and sort of the massaging that has to occur in order to be not only you know considered to even come in and be selected to have the opportunity to provide a bid, but even you know I mean I, I would assume that not every bid that's selected is the lowest; it's the best, and best is clearly subjective. Can you sort of walk through that process? Yeah, our vision as a company is to be the best, but our mission is to leave a legacy. And the reason I mention those two things is because in a case like this, you are constantly trying to. Uh, illustrate to people what you think the value is that you're going to bring to a particular project. Maybe it's your team that's going to be able to communicate better. Maybe you're going to be able to fix the inevitable problems faster. Uh, the overall quality of your team has to be very, very high. I think everybody in our organization takes a tremendous amount of pride in the level of craftsmanship uh, that people who are in the trenches every day working, putting pipe, putting systems together, uh, everything that they demonstrate on a daily basis. And so at the end of the day, one of the things that as an outcome for all of that work, I think our team is really motivated by is that when we're building these projects, and it could be the airport, it could be the Kauffman Center of Performing Arts, uh, it could be uh, you know a, a laboratory or a hospital here in Kansas City, but especially something like the airport where there's a lot of public, as you described it, sort of scrutiny on the actual project, is a lot less important to people than knowing all of those individuals who worked on that project one day, they're probably going to be bringing their families through the airport. And they're going to be able to point out, I actually installed that piece of pipe. I actually installed that urinal. I actually installed the air handling unit that's behind that wall over there that's providing conditioning for this space. Uh, and the same thing's true in hospitals. Uh, we had a great story from a number of years ago where uh, a gentleman who works at U.S. had been coming up as an apprentice pipe fitter, and uh, he had been working in an emergency room that was being built in the hospital. And years later, when his daughter was born, he realized that his wife was actually delivering their first child in the labor and de delivery room that he had helped pipe up years before that. So I think those kinds of things when you think about how do you bring value to a project, when you go to win a project like that and you're able to demonstrate to people, this is more than about just building the project and moving on to the next project. 
I think it tends to resonate. So that's one of the ways we try and distinguish ourselves. And you're right. We don't always win. Uh, there are other companies that, that, that beat us sometimes, whether it's a low bid or someone else has a connection to something, but that's okay. Uh, we've been around for 130 years and our goal is to be around for another 130. Let's do that. 130 years. Walk us through the history. <laughs> that's, that's more generations than the Riggers. Is that? We're going to find out. This has been consistent though. They didn't outlaw uh, building America for for twelve years or thirteen. Years, How many generations? Fortunately, is it your your great great or great great great? It was great great great. Got it. That's great. Well, and I love Andy's <laughs> story, by the way, and how he got involved, and so we could absolutely pivot and reverse the podcast, and instead discuss what his family history was and why he came back to get involved in the organization. I'm if over, that's what I'm you over his family. I came I back because about, you motivated me to come back to Kansas City. <laughs> yeah. We need great people here. Tell tell us about the company. Tell 130 years. It's a yeah. long time. Yeah. My my great great grandfather Gustav started a metalworking business. It's an amazing name. Yes. Yes. He started a metalworking business over in Germany in the 1850s after finishing an apprenticeship with Henkel Knives back in the day when an apprenticeship literally meant you were like going around the country and sort of, you know, plying your wares and demonstrating your capabilities. But he and his family moved to the United States in the late 19th century and actually settled here in Kansas City uh, over in KCK on Strawberry Hill in 1889. Great choice. And they opened up a similar metalworking business in 1893 uh, it was called uh, Notberg Iron and Machine Works, and they were essentially helping to fix axles and ball bearings for the railroad industry, which was, you know, gaining a great deal of prominence back then. And uh, one of the brothers had actually gotten a job at a place called Heim Brewery. Uh, I wonder if there's any connection to the Rieger Distillery. Have I ever known this? I can't remember if I've told Tyler you this Tyler is saying story, this but. because Jay Rieger & Co. was originally founded in the West Bottoms, and when we restarted it in 2014, we transitioned over to the East Bottoms in the Historic Electric Park District, and that area was made famous uh, from about 1880 until 1919 when the Heim Brewery was down there, and we are actually now located in their last building they ever constructed, which was a uh, completely, I don't want to say completely, but a a brick building uh, with concrete floors and it was their bottling plant. And now I wonder if Notberg was. It's certainly possible involved that in the actual uh, William was walking around on the floors where you're now making this uh, great whiskey product here in Kansas City. I actually City. have some of the original blueprints. So let's take a look at them. Sometime. We'll take a look. We'll take a look. Sorry, I, I didn't realize this was the Kansas City history podcast. I thought it was let me be brief business podcast. Yeah, we're still brief. <laughs> Let's go long on history here in Kansas City. We all take a great deal of pride in it. We do. We do. 130 years. Yeah. Five generations. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, where did it start? How, do you, how did y'all get to what it is now? Well, so after basically watching one of the sons work in this brewery where a lot of refrigeration piping was necessary, they began to take their engineering degrees that they had earned over in Germany and applied them to new technologies that were evolving in the United States. So 
the concept of conditioning indoor spaces and the prevalence of indoor plumbing led them to pivot a little bit from just doing metalworking to get into mechanical construction. Uh, and so early in the 20th century, Freon became a very readily available and cheap refrigerant. And they began utilizing all of their skills to begin building those sorts of systems, not Berg Iron and Machine Works. And as it evolved, they kind of went all in on the mechanical construction side of things. Uh, as you probably remember, a lot of things German fell out of favor in the early 20th century in the United States. Uh, so they rebranded from Notberg Iron and Machine Works to U.S. Engineering. Hmm. They adopted the eagle as the logo, red, white, and blue, motherhood, apple pie. And uh, they actually ended up winning a lot of contracts to build munitions facilities for the United States government. So we've got a lot of great articles in our archives about even building the sunflower munitions plant that's now mm -hmm. been kind of leveled and there's going to be a new big project life there. Again. Yep. Uh, and so uh, we survived uh, the early 20th century really doing a lot of government work and evolved uh, up through, you know, the late 20th century, just continuing to build out a lot of these industrial projects. Uh, and so that's kind of how the company got its footing and became what it was today. Uh, through that 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 whole evolution, opening up offices and places like Colorado and developing different types of services and things along those lines. And so I know that we spoke about some of the other offices, you know, last time. So not to dive too much into that, but Kansas City based company. And so to have it, it's not like there's a lot of airports being built in Kansas City very often, you know. Right. Um, but we as far as not. yeah, we hope we hope that this one lasts a long time. Um, but as far as getting to do the big projects at home, you yeah. know, yeah. Uh, are, are there any other ones on the horizon or, or hopeful projects that you all are working on? Uh, I can imagine the airport is taking up a lot of mental time, energy and effort, but like what's, what's next for the company here in town? Well, you know, I have to say that, uh, there's a lot of different projects, some big, some small that, uh, uh take place here in Kansas city. I actually always go back to this phrase that Tom Honig, who used to be the president of the Kansas city federal reserve said when he said, one of Kansas city's greatest strengths is that it has no strengths, right? Like we've got a huge agricultural base. We've got a huge engineering and construction base. We've got two manufacturing facilities for car companies here in Kansas city. Most cities, they're lucky if they've got one between GM and Ford. We've got a great healthcare industry here in Kansas City. We've got all kinds of opportunities to continue to grow as a city. And so as these projects come up, you know, some may look like they're very significant and others that might not look quite as significant because they're not in the public eye. Uh, those things actually have a really big impact on job creation, on the development of the economy, the tax base for all of these different regions. And so uh, we really try and keep our ear to the ground and be involved as much or as little as we possibly can in the small ones, the big ones, because, you know, we want to win the ones in our hometown. So, Tyler, uh, as we start to wrap up, we've asked you this question before. Okay, yeah. But I'm going to change it a little bit. Okay. What's the coolest thing you've done in the last two years? Oh, the coolest thing I've done in the last two years. Um, Cannot say work from home. No, that definitely was not it. <laughs> you know, it's actually fairly recent. Uh, you know, we just dropped our daughter off at college uh, this year. Which and, one? Uh, which 
Which, which oh, college? Oh, University yeah. of Denver. Awesome. So she is now living out in Denver. And uh, one of the things that I've realized is that uh, you sort of take for granted for the first 19 years of being a little family unit about what that dynamic is like for all of us. Uh, and I was I was deeply affected by that. And it was it was a traumatic process to go through the drop off, quite frankly. Uh, those of you who have had, uh, you know, kids and kind of gone through that that process. Uh, but uh, even in the last couple of weeks to see her thriving out there, I would say, you know, kind of one of the coolest things was realizing that uh, Lee, my wife uh, in particular, and I had spent the first 19 years of her life kind of preparing her for that moment. And she looks like she's ready. So we're very proud of her. Uh, and it was actually very nice as well to see our son, who's a sophomore in high school, uh, how much he loves his sister and uh, how much he's supportive of the cool stuff that she's doing now, too. So I'm sure you'll never go out there and visit her. <laughs> Every chance I can get. <laughs> well, Tyler, uh, on behalf of Emprise Bank, uh, Let It Fly Media, the Jay Rieger & Co. Distillery, and Swell Spark, thank you for sharing time with us again. Uh, exciting to see, obviously, this big project that y'all are working on, but also what you continue to do to drive Kansas City forward. And we wish you uh, all of the success uh, as you continue to do that here in town. Thanks. And thank you guys for highlighting some great people here in Kansas City. It really means a lot to the community and to those individuals. So appreciate it. Thanks, Tyler.